0: Welcome to Bedtime Stories. I'm Lori Mack. Tonight, we are enjoying Black Beauty, chapters 25 through 27. Chapter 25, Reuben Smith. Now I must say a little about Reuben Smith, who was left in charge of the stables when York went to London. No one more thoroughly understood his business than he did, and when he was all right, there could not be a more faithful or valuable man. He was gentle and very clever in his management of horses and could doctor them almost as well as a farrier, for he had lived two years with a veterinary surgeon. He was a first-rate driver. He could take a four-in-hand or a tandem as easily as a pair. He was a handsome man, a good scholar, and he had very pleasant manners. I believe everybody liked him. Certainly the horses did. The only wonder was that he should be in an under situation, and not in a place of a head coachman like York. But he had one great fault, and that was the love of drink. He was not like some men, always at it. He used to keep steady for weeks or months together, and then he would break out and have a bout of it, as York called it, and be a disgrace to himself, a terror to his wife, and a nuisance to all that had to do with him. He was, however, so useful that two or three times York had hushed the matter up and kept it from the earl's knowledge. But one night, when Reuben had to drive a party home from a ball, he was so drunk he could not hold the reins, and a gentleman of the party had to mount the box and drive the ladies home. Of course, this could not be hidden, and Reuben was at once dismissed. His poor wife and little children had to turn out of the pretty cottage by the park gate and go where they could. Old Max told me all this, for it happened a good while ago, but shortly before Ginger and I came, Smith had been taken back again. York had interceded for him with the earl, who is very kind-hearted, and the man had promised faithfully that he would never taste another drop as long as he lived there. He had kept his promise so well that York thought he might be safely trusted to fill his place while he was away and he was so clever and honest that no one else seemed so well fitted for it. It was now early in April, and the family was expected to be home some time in May. The light brougham was to be fresh done up, and as Colonel Blantyre was obliged to return to his regiment, it was arranged that Smith should drive him to the town in it and ride back. For this purpose, he took the saddle with him, and I was chosen for the journey. At the station, the Colonel put some money in Smith's hand and bid him good-bye, saying, "'Take care of your young mistress, Reuben, "'and don't let Black Oster be hacked about "'by any random young prig that wants to ride him. "'Keep him for the lady.' "'We left the carriage at the Maker's, "'and Smith rode me to the White Lion "'and ordered the Ostler to feed me well "'and have me ready for him at four o'clock. "'A nail in one of my front shoes had started as I came along, but the ostler did not notice it until just about four o'clock. Smith did not come into the yard till five, and then he said he should not leave till six, as he had met with some old friends. The man then told him of the nail, and asked if he should have the shoe looked to. No, said Smith, that'll be all right till we get home. He spoke in a very loud, off hand way, and I thought it very unlike him not to see about the shoe as he was generally wonderfully particular about loose nails in our shoes. He did not come at six, nor seven, nor eight, and it was nearly nine o'clock before he called for me, and then it was with a loud, rough voice. He seemed in a very bad temper and abused the ostler, though I could not tell what for. The landlord stood at the door and said, "'Have a care, Mr. Smith,' but he answered angrily with an oath and almost before he was out of the town, he began to gallop, frequently giving me a sharp cut with his whip, though I was going at full speed. The moon had not yet risen and it was very dark. The roads were stony, having been recently mended. Going over them at this pace, my shoe became looser and when we were near the turnpike gate, it came off. If Smith had been in his right senses, he would have been sensible of something wrong in my pace, but he was too madly drunk to notice anything. Beyond the turnpike was a long piece of road upon which fresh stones had just been laid, large, sharp stones, over which no horse could be driven quickly without risk of danger. Over this road, with one shoe gone, I was forced to gallop at my utmost speed, my rider, meanwhile, cutting into me with his whip, and with wild curses urging me to go still faster. Of course, my shoeless foot suffered dreadfully. The hoof was broken and split down to the very quick, and the inside was terribly cut by the sharpness of the stones. This could not go on. No horse could keep his footing under such circumstances, and the pain was too great. I stumbled and fell with violence on both my knees. Smith was flung off by the fall and, owing to the speed I was going at, he must have fallen with great force. I soon recovered my feet and limped to the side of the road where it was free from stones. The moon had just risen above the hedge and by its light I could see Smith lying a few yards beyond me. He did not rise, he made one slight effort to do so and then there was a heavy groan. I could have groaned too for I was suffering intense pain, both from my foot and knees, but horses are used to bearing their pain in silence. I uttered no sound, but I stood there and listened. One more heavy groan from Smith, but though he now lay in the full moonlight, I could see no motion. I could do nothing for him nor myself, but oh, how I listened for the sound of horse or wheels or footsteps. The road was not much frequented, and at this time of the night we might stay here for hours before help came to us. I stood watching and listening. It was a calm, sweet April night. There were no sounds but a few low notes of a nightingale, and nothing moved but the white clouds near the moon and a brown owl that flitted over the hedge. It made me think of the summer nights long ago, when I used to lie beside my mother in the green, pleasant meadow at Farmer Gray's. Chapter 26. How It Ended It must have been nearly midnight when I heard at a great distance the sound of a horse's feet. Sometimes that sound died away, and then it grew clearer again and nearer, the road to Earl shawl led through the woods that belonged to the Earl. The sound came in that direction, and I hoped it might be someone coming in search of us. As the sound came nearer and nearer, I was almost sure I could distinguish Ginger's step. A little nearer still, and I could tell she was in the dog cart. I neighed loudly and was overjoyed to hear an answering neigh from Ginger and men's voices. They came slowly over the stones and stopped at the dark figure that lay upon the ground. One of the men jumped out and stooped down over it. It is Reuben, he said, and he does not stir. The other man followed and bent over him. He's dead, he said. Feel how cold his hands are. They raised him up, but there was no life, and his hair was soaked with blood. They laid him down again and came and looked at me, and they soon saw my cut knees. "'Why, the horse has been down, and thrown him. "'Who would have thought the black horse would have done that? "'Nobody thought he could fall. Reuben must have been lying here for hours. "'Odd, too, that the horse has not moved from that place. "'Robert then attempted to lead me forward, "'and I made a step, but almost fell again. "'Hello, he's bad in the foot as well as his knees. "'Look here, his hoof is all cut to pieces. "'He might well come down, poor fellow.' I'll tell you what, Ned, I'm afraid it hasn't been all right with Reuben. Just think of his riding a horse over these stones without a shoe. Why, if he had been in his right senses, he would just as soon have tried to ride him over the moon. I'm afraid it's been the old thing all over again. Poor Susan. She looked awfully pale when she came to my house to ask if he had not come home. She made believe she was not a bit anxious and talked of a lot of things that might have kept him. But for all that she begged me to go and meet him but what must we do there's the horse to get home as well as the body and that will be no easy matter then followed a conversation between them till it was agreed that robert as the groom should lead me and that ned must take the body it was a hard job to get it into the dog cart for there was no one to hold ginger but she knew as well as I did what was going on, and stood as still as a stone. I noticed that because if she had a fault, it was that she was impatient in standing. Ned started off very slow with his sad load, and Robert came and looked at my foot again. Then he took his handkerchief and bound it closely round, and so he led me home. I shall never forget that night walk. It was more than three miles. Robert led me on very slowly, and I limped and hobbled on as well as I could with great pain. I'm sure he was sorry for me, for he often patted and encouraged me, talking to me in a pleasant voice. As I reached my own box and had some corn, and after Robert had wrapped up my knees in wet cloths, he tied up my foot in a bran poultice to draw out the heat and cleanse it before the horse doctor saw it in the morning. And I managed to get myself down on the straw and slept in spite of the pain. The next day, after the farrier had examined my wounds, he said that he hoped the joint was not injured, and if so, I should not be spoiled for work, but I should never lose the blemish. I believe they did the best to make a good cure, but it was a long and painful one. Proud flesh, as they called it, came up in my knees, and it was burnt out with caustic, And when at last it was healed, they put a blistering fluid over the front of both knees to bring all the hair off. They had some reason for this, and I suppose it was all right. As Smith's death had been so sudden, and no one was there to see it, there was an inquest held. The landlord and ostler at the White Lion, with several other people, gave evidence that he was intoxicated when he started from the inn. The keeper of the toll gate said he rode at a hard gallop through the gate, and my shoe was picked up amongst the stones, so that the case was quite plain to them, and I was cleared of all blame. Everybody pitied Susan. She was nearly out of her mind. She kept saying over and over again, Oh, he was so good, so good. It was all that cursed drink. Why will they sell that cursed drink? Oh, Reuben, Reuben!" So she went on till after he was buried. And then, as she had no home or relations, she, with her six little children, was obliged once more to leave the pleasant home by the tall oak trees and go into that great gloomy union house. Chapter 27, Ruined and Going Downhill. As soon as my knees were sufficiently healed, I was turned into a small meadow for a month or two. No other creature was there, and though I enjoyed the liberty and the sweet grass, yet I had been so long used to society that I felt very lonely. Ginger and I had become fast friends, and now I missed her company extremely. I often neighed when I heard horse's feet passing in the road, but I seldom got an answer, till one morning the gate was opened, and who should come in but dear old Ginger. The man slipped off her halter and left her there. With a joyful whinny I trotted up to her, and we were both glad to meet, but I soon found that it was not for our pleasure that she was brought to be with me. Her story would be too long to tell, but the end of it was that she had been ruined by hard riding and was now turned off to see what rest would do. Lord George was young and would take no warning. He was a hard rider and would hunt whenever he could get the chance, quite careless of his horse." Soon after I left the stable, there was a steeplechase, and he determined to ride. Though the groom told him she was a little strained and was not fit for the race, he did not believe it, and on the day of the race urged Ginger to keep up with the foremost riders. With her high spirit, she strained herself to the utmost. She came in with the first three horses, but her wind was touched. Besides which, he was too heavy for her, and her back was strained. And so, she said, Here we are, ruined in the prime of our youth and strength, you by a drunkard and I by a fool. It is very hard. We both felt in ourselves that we were not what we had been. However, that did not spoil the pleasure we had in each other's company. We did not gallop about as we once did, but we used to feed and lie down together and stand for hours under one of the shady lime trees with our heads close to each other. And so we passed our time till the family returned from town. One day we saw the earl come into the meadow, and York was with him, and seeing who it was, we stood still under our lime tree and let them come to us. They examined us carefully. The earl seemed much annoyed. There is three hundred pounds flung away for no earthly use, said he, but what I care most for is that these horses of my old friend, who thought they would find a good home with me, are ruined." The mare shall have a twelve-months' run, and we shall see what that will do for her. But the black one, he must be sold. Tis a great pity, but I could not have knees like these in my stables. No, my lord, of course not, said York. But he might get a place where appearance is not of much consequence and still be well-treated. I know a man in Bath, the master of some livery stables, who often wants a good horse at a low figure. I know he looks well after his horses. "'The inquest cleared the horse's character, and your lordship's recommendation, or mine, would be sufficient warrant for him. "'You'd better write to him, York. I should be more particular about the place than the money he would fetch. "'After this they left us. "'They'll soon take you away,' said Ginger, "'and I shall lose the only friend I have, and most likely we shall never see each other again. 'Tis a hard world.' About a week after this, Robert came into the field with a halter, which he slipped over my head and led me away. There was no leave-taking of Ginger. We neighed to each other as I was led off, and she trotted anxiously along by the hedge, calling to me as long as she could hear the sound of my feet. Through the recommendation of York, I was bought by the master of the livery stables. I had to go by train, which was new to me, and required a good deal of courage the first time. But as I found the puffing, rushing, whistling, and, more than all, the trembling of the horse box in which I stood did me no real harm, I soon took it quietly. When I reached the end of my journey, I found myself in a tolerably comfortable stable and well attended to. These stables were not so airy and pleasant as though I had been used to. The stalls were laid on a slope instead of being level, and as my head was kept tied to the manger, I was obliged always to stand on the slope, which was very fatiguing. Men do not seem to know yet that horses can do more work if they can stand comfortably and can turn about. However, I was well fed and well cleaned, and on the whole, I think our master took as much care of us as he could. He kept a good many horses and carriages of different kinds for hire, sometimes his own men drove them and at others the horse and chase were let to gentlemen or ladies who drove themselves. That is all for tonight. Come back again where we'll read chapters 28 through 30. Good night.